I'm going to talk to you for a few minutes today about time. If you want to turn in your Bible, we're going to we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3 first. If not, it'll be up should be up on the screen behind me. We'll jump around a little bit, but that's where we'll start. But I want to talk to you for a few minutes about time. Solomon said to everything there's a season, a time. Right? God set up the planet Earth and he put seasons for stuff. But we as humans have developed time and clocks and days and months and years and organized it. So so just start thinking about about time. And I want you to know that you were made for the future. And the future is bright. You know that? The future is bright. Your future is bright. And you were made for the future. As God's people, we should be the first. Running into the future. Creating the future. Last week I told you that the minute you quit moving forward is the minute you choose to let your past become your final destination. And I've thought about that multiple times throughout the week. And every, I won't say every, a lot of people that I can think of, they got to some point in their life and they just stopped. They stopped moving forward. They stopped gaining ground. They, they settle. And there are a few that don't. There are a few that keep moving forward. There are a few that keep gaining ground for the kingdom. There are a few that, but a lot of people just end up settling somewhere. Or they get too tired or they get hurt or they get, just get comfortable. Why? Because moving forward is not easy. Moving forward is actually pretty uncomfortable sometimes. Moving into the new thing that God has for you. And as I thought about it some this week, I was thinking about the future and the new thing that, that God has for us. And he's always calling us into the new. And the Holy Spirit takes your hand and who will lead you into places that they're new, they're foreign, or places you might not want to go. And a lot of times to avoid going into the new, we just try to like redo the past, put a new paint job on the past. But if it's new, if it's truly new, you've never been there before. If it's new, you don't know what it looks like yet. And that's pretty scary. So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck at a place in life. Don't get stuck in a moment. Don't get stuck in a job or in a ministry or in a relationship. Don't, don't just settle and get stuck and stop moving forward. Because then you start wasting time. I was thinking about the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt. They came out of slavery. Moses went and said, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, no. And all, you know the story. They came out of slavery. And then they wandered around in the wilderness. And, and we always give them a hard time because it took them 40 years to get across the wilderness. And they should have been able to make it in about two weeks. And, and we give them a hard time. But as I thought about that story this week, I was thinking about how if you go read in Exodus, read the story of them going through the wilderness, Moses made sure to record every time they went to a new place and then they left that place and they went to this place and then they left that place and they went to this place. It's not like they went out in the desert and just camped out somewhere for 40 years and then shot into the promised land. So I counted up how many times we have recorded in the Bible that they moved. They left one place, went to another place. 42 times Moses wrote it down. Now, if they moved more than that, I don't know, but at least 42 times in that 40 years, they moved this over a million people. Moved. That's a big deal. More than once a year, they moved. Why? I believe Moses as a good leader, knew this is not where God called us to be. We're not walking in the fullness of all that God promised us. We're not in the promised land. 
And if we stay here, we'll get comfortable. And we'll never make it. If we stay here, we'll get stuck. Because that's how we are as humans. We stay there for too long and then we don't move on. And then later on you think, what happened to that dream? What happened to that hope? What happened to that plan for my future? What happened to all that God said for my life? And like, I'm still in the same place I was. It's because we stopped moving. Moses is like, nah, we've been here six months. It's time to go. You know there was some complaining. Are you kidding me? What about on the 39th year, right before they went into the promised land, when Moses said it's time to move again? And I've been dragging my kids around. Now my kids, now I'm dragging my grandkids around. My, my kid was born out here. Now he's 39 years old. And you're telling me we're going to move again? They kept moving. They kept moving. They kept moving. Because they wanted to see all that God had for them. Let us be a people that aren't comfortable with where we are. We, now there's a difference in being content and comfortable. We're supposed to be content, right? But not comfortable just staying where we are. So do you know how to get in the zone? You gotta X out the comfort. We like getting in the comfort zone. But comfort zones and callings don't usually go hand in hand. Purpose doesn't have a parking spot. You got to go after it. You got to chase it. So getting back to time and, and the concept of time, it's fascinating. And we, we can sit and think about and we have conversations about time and eternity. You know, babies, they have no concept of time. They don't know what time it is. That's why they wake up at 3 a.m. and scream their lungs out. They don't care what time it is. They want something. They need something. They didn't know. Or even little kids, they don't have a concept of time. I want ice cream. No, it's midnight. Well, this is what time mommy eats ice cream. No, they don't have a concept of what time. Why can't I eat? Why can't I drink a Mountain Dew before I go to bed on a school night? Because you're about to go to bed and it's late and I know that you need this amount of time asleep. Right? So babies and little kids, they don't have a concept of time. But as they grow, we start to teach them. Because that's how our world works and operates. We're, we're on a timeline. Our God is not bound by time or space. We have tons of scriptures that tell us that before the world was even created, before time was our God. So he's not on a timeline. He sees everything at once. He's not stuck right now in 2021. And for us as humans, that's really hard to wrap our mind around. Like, wait, God sees everything? So God, right now at this moment, I'm in heaven with God and he's there too and it's just as real as it is right now to me. But he's not stuck in time. Time is a human limitation. God's not stuck in time. We're the ones that are on the timeline right now. That's a really hard to, to wrap your mind around. So we teach our kids about time and bedtimes and nap time and church day. And then we start to send them to school and they're learning that you got to be on time. And when the bell rings, you need to be in this class. And this assignment is due by this time, right? If you don't get it turned in by that time, you're going to get in trouble. And we're, we're teaching them to some structure and some time. They're learning about time and yeah there's some hard things or rough things about school but it's not a bad thing to learn about time because guess what when they get a little bit older they're going to need to know how time works right? if you get a job you better know 
how to use an alarm clock and be there on time or you won't have the job for very long. When they start sending bills in your mailbox, if you don't care about time, well, when Carol EMC says, here's the day and time you need to pay and you don't, you're not going to have power. So as we mature, we learn about time and how to prioritize our time for the things that we think are important. See, part of maturing is learning how to prioritize time. Time is on our phones, and some of us have it on our wrist. It's on the microwave. It's on the wall. we got clocks everywhere telling us what time it is. There's, there's time on the clock in your car. Um, the Egyptians organized it and mathematically figured it out first. And then the Swiss mastered it. And then Americans turned it into money. You know, time is money. I'm sure you've heard that. But each age group sees and experiences time differently. Now, there's all kinds of, of studies on it, and we don't have time to dig into a bunch of them. So if you want to go look at it, you can. But there's all kinds of studies about a 20-year-old sees and experiences time a lot different than an 80-year-old or a 60-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 30-year-old. We, we all see and experience time differently depending on where we're at in life, where we are. So everybody sees time different. Like I just told you, babies don't even have concept of time. 20-year-olds think they got forever and they can... That, it's funny, but they still think they're in control right, of their life and destiny. Somewhere in your 30s, I've found that you realize you're not in control. <clears throat> I won't keep going because I'm not to those older ones yet. And Yeah, at some point in there, it becomes more about comfort than looks. I won't tell you which, which age that one is. <laughs> But in life, we go through different stages. And a lot of times, it's hard to... You ever just feel like you're spending your life trying to figure out life? You're spending life trying to figure out the meaning of life? I can help you with that real quick with a story. This is not theologically correct, and it's not found in the Bible. But it will explain all of life and godliness to you. Okay, ready? There's my disclaimer. Uh, one day... God created the dog. And he said, hey, dog, you're going to be loyal. You're going to be a good pet to the man. And the dog said, okay, what's my job? And he said, I'm going to send you to earth. I'm going to give you 20 years to live. Your main job is going to be hang out right there by the front door of the house and bark at everything that goes by. And the dog was like, my God, that sounds exhausting. How about you give me 10 years and you can have 10 back? God said, deal. God put the dog on the earth. Live around 10 years. All right, so next God created a monkey. He said, hey, monkey, you're going to swing and you're going to climb all over things and do monkey tricks. You're going to act crazy and scream and run around and pick things off of other monkeys' heads. And, and I'm going to give you 20 years. And the monkey said, man, that sounds kind of exhausting. Can't be swinging around on trees and doing monkey tricks for 20 years. I'll do the same as the dog. I'll give you 10 back. You give me 10 years on earth and bring me on back to heaven. God said, deal. Puts the monkey on the earth. Next, God said that he was going to, God created a cow. And he said, hey, cow, you're going to work hard. You're going to slave away out in the sun. You're going to work for the farmer. And a lot of your, your bull calves are going to get turned into oxen and they're going to plow gardens and pull plows and, and you're going to give milk and butter and cheese and you're going to have calves and you're going to work hard for 60 years. And then you can come back home and the cow said, my God, that sounds horrible. I don't have to work my butt off for 60 years. How about you let me go down there for about 20 and I'll give you back 40. God said, okay, deal. Then, 
the last day, on the fourth day, God created the man. And he said, hey, I'm going to give you 20 years on earth. And all I want you to do is eat and drink and play and be merry. Not a care in the world. And the man said, 20 years. 20 years is not long enough to live. Hold on, hold on, hold on. How about you give me, um, wait, let me think. How much was it? Um, I'll take my 20 and then give me the 40 that the cow had. Yeah, and then give me the 10 that you were going to give to the monkey and then give me that 10 from the dog. God said, okay, deal. Totals up to about 80. Right, so that's why the first 20 years of your life, you just eat and drink and sleep and play and have a fun time. And then the next 40 years, you slave away in the hot sun to make a living. And then the next 10 years, you do monkey tricks for the grandkids and climb all over playgrounds and stuff. And the last 10 years, you sit by the door and bark at anything that goes by. <laughs> there, see, I just explained all of life to you in time. As I get older, I get better. Like, I, I really was thinking about this, and look at people come up and tell me how much gray I got in my beard. I, that's happened to me twice in the last week. Whoa, you got a lot of gray in your beard. But I honestly, I think of it as a compliment. Like, that doesn't insult me. I kind of feel proud of the gray, like I've earned it. The Bible tells us that, that gray is a sign of wisdom. And I feel like I have some wisdom. We were at a thing the other night, and I, and I said that my 30s, I'm almost to the end of my 30s. I'll be 39 this year. And I made the comment that my 30s, that this has been the best decade of my life. And I mean it. As I sit and think about all that's happened and all that's been done and, and the growth in me as a, a person and a father and I've been able to give more than I've ever given in my life and I've been able to walk in purpose more and I've, I've become a better leader, a better pastor, a better speaker, a better father, a better husband, I, everything in my 30s. And I expect the 40s to be even better than this. But I don't want to stop and then just look back on my 30s for the rest of my life. I want to keep moving forward. So I, I told you I'll be 39 this year. And so this morning, thinking about this message, I Googled the average age of a male. It's 77. So I'm over halfway dead. Weird to think about. But time, what will you do with it? I loved Back to the Future to date myself a little bit. And, and really, there's been a lot of movies about time travel, but it just makes you think. Well, what would you do? Or I'm sure you've been in a conversation about, well, if you could go back in time, where would you go? Or what would you do if you could time travel? right? I'd go back and play that lottery. Or more serious things like, what would you go back and change? Right? Would you go back and tell her you loved her? Would you go back and, and forgive? Or if you could start over, would you go back and not take that drink that night? Or what, like, but as humans, we think about and talk about things like that, and we're intrigued by the thought of time travel and see we humans think about the afterlife we think about eternity we we think about the future we think about if i could go back to the past we we think about all the animals don't think about that stuff your dog's not laying there thinking about what's going to happen to him after he dies eternity so we're about to look at why we think about stuff like that.
the biblical or the Christian view of time is that it's a road. That we're going somewhere. That's what, if, as we read the Bible and we see all these things, we see that it's, it's a road. It starts and it ends and it might be swervy and we don't know where it's going to end exactly, but we know it's going to have an end. Ecclesiastes 3.11 It says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. God placed eternity in your heart. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We can't figure it out. That's what I was just talking about. Eternity has been placed in the hearts of every human. We think about time and eternity. Um, that word eternity, it's a Hebrew word and it means everlasting, forever, eternity, lasting forever, something that does not begin or end. King James words it like, he hath set the world in their heart. But that world, that's the same word there, eternity. Something that doesn't start or doesn't end. So, so we don't have the ability to grasp or fully understand eternity. It's like God put a little teaser inside of every human. He, it says He placed eternity inside our heart something that we can't even grasp or understand. It tells us that next. Like, why God? Why'd you put that in there? Something that to make us think about. and It's just a little teaser on the inside of us. That's why we ask questions like, why am I alive? What's my purpose? Am I just wasting time? It's because eternity has been placed in your heart. You know that you're here for a reason. You know that you're placed on the planet for something bigger than you. Whether you're a believer or not, it's placed in the heart of every human. Why am I here? Am I making a difference? Does anybody know who I am? That's, that's where these questions come from. It's because eternity's been placed in your heart. And so you're not satisfied to stay where you are. It's meant to keep moving you forward, to propel you to knowing God and His love for you. But then beyond that, to walking in purpose to making a difference in the world, to making the world a better place, to using the abilities and the, the finances and the skills and everything that God gives you throughout your life, you use it to make the world a better place, to advance the kingdom. To keep moving forward. See, God sees a much bigger picture than time right now all I can see is time and the past but God can see it all God knows how what I do right now is going to affect what happens later God sees a lot bigger picture than than time than right now 1 Peter 1.20 and Titus 1.2 and Ephesians 1.4 if you're writing down or taking notes. I was going to turn to all these places, but 1 Peter 1.20 Titus 1.2 Ephesians 1.4 These were all places I was going to turn to show you that, that God's not stuck in time. And that he, he created you before the world, or before time began. That, that God's not bound by time or space. Um, 2 Timothy 1, I will read that one to you. 2 Timothy 1 verse 9 says, Who has saved us and called us to a holy life 
not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. So this grace, or the empowerment to do what he's called you to do. This is Paul's letter to Timothy. And he's talking about an empowering grace that empowers Timothy to do what he's called to do, to walk out his purpose. It was given to you before time began. God had a plan and purpose before time even started. Um, I heard about this, this church that has hundreds or I think thousands of locations now in Brazil. And the church has 300,000 people and 12,500 pastors. So it's massive. It's huge. And this American pastor went there to speak at one of their conferences only to their pastors and leaders, which is still 12,500. was just the pastors that he went to speak to. And afterwards, he got to talk to some of their leaders. Most of them don't speak English. He got to speak to some of them, and one that he was speaking to, one of their leaders, pastors, he spoke very good English. And so they got to sit and talk over a meal, and he started asking questions like, how did this start? This is an insane movement. Like all these, y'all have 300,000 people going strong? And he's like, how, when did this start? How did this start? And he said, yeah, 16 years ago, two people started a little home church. And he said, wait a second. 16 years ago, two people started a home church. And now y'all have 12,500 pastors and 300,000 people spread out all across Brazil. And he asked the question, how did that happen? And he said, honestly, I thought the answer that they were going to tell me was small groups, home churches. That, he said, I, don't, I just thought that's what was going to be the answer. And he said that the pastor that spoke the best English spoke up and said, we preach eternity. He said, I've been to America lots of times and I've preached at lots of churches and conferences. And I have noticed that American Christians have a 70 or 80 year perspective. And our people have an eternal perspective. If you're living with a 70 or 80 year perspective, you're not all in. When you have an eternal perspective, you live different. You make different decisions. You, you will endure things that you would not endure. If you had a 70 or 80 year perspective, you pursue things differently. You give different than you would if you knew, well, I've got 70 or 80 years and then it's all over and then we're done and I've got to get mine and if I have any extra, I'll give a little bit. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next world. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the next world that they have become so ineffective in this one. See, we live in this, this time. We live in this world. We live in 2021 on this Sunday morning. But as we mature, we should see time differently. And I'm talking about spiritually mature. As we grow and as we mature, we should start to see time different. Just like I was talking about how we naturally see time earlier, we should start to see it different. Time is a gift. Every moment that we're awake, every moment that we're alive, it's a gift. As we mature, we see that more and more. Time is an opportunity. 
to keep moving into what's next. Time is an opportunity to give. Time is an opportunity to seek forgiveness. Time is an opportunity to show love, to give love, to receive love. Acts 2, verse 1. This is after Jesus, after Jesus went to the cross and <clears throat> he told the disciples to wait and he came back and he gave them like the great commission and told them, I want you to go to all of the world and preach the gospel, preach the good news. I want you to go. And he was pretty specific and told them to reach the whole entire world. And then in Acts 2, and when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So they were doing what he said. They were waiting why? Because even though he had gone to the cross and paid the price for sin, they still needed something else. They still needed the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, they couldn't do what he called them to do. So he said, not wait till the Holy Spirit comes, and then you can go do what I've called you to do. So all the disciples are they're waiting. They're held up in a room. They're scared. So they got the doors locked, and Jesus just walks through the wall. And suddenly... Suddenly, poof, there was suddenly this happened. I remind you, a human wrote that. It seemed suddenly to them. It wasn't suddenly to God. This was his plan. Uh, he planned this out before time even started. That he would send his spirit back. Like he planned on sending Jesus to die on the cross before he even created the earth. Before the foundations of the world were laid. Scripture tells us. So it was suddenly to the people that were there in the room, but it wasn't suddenly to God from His perspective because He's not stuck in a timeline. But, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all of the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. And they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the Holy Ghost fell on them and it was this awesome moment and this awesome time. And, and we love suddenly. We write songs about suddenly and how amazing and pow, awesome. Suddenly this happened, that happened. And God had it planned out all along. So the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. Now you're free to go do what? The Great Commission. You're free to go share it to the whole world, right? And if you go read Acts, I don't want to spend too much time reading it because I got somewhere I'm trying to go to wrap this up. But if you go read these first several chapters through all the way up to like chapter 10 from right there from chapter 2 to like chapter 10 some crazy stuff happened the church was growing and there were miracles and people raised from the dead and like signs and wonders and God added to the church daily but if you go do a little bit of studying and reading you can read from there all the way up to to Acts 10 and these jokers still thought it was just for the Jews They didn't think that the Holy Spirit was for the Gentiles, which is probably everyone in this room, unless there's a Jewish person in here. We're all considered Gentiles, outsiders, that God's Holy Spirit or His love wasn't for us. So all the way up until chapter 10 in Acts, if you go and read it, that was 10 years Ten years passed from chapter 2 to chapter 10. And, and in chapter 10, you can go read, but it's where Peter was sitting on the roof of a house. And God gave him this vision of a blanket coming down from heaven. And it's, it's all the meat eaters and hunters' favorite story in the Bible. But it's where the blanket comes down and it opens up and it's just full of all kind of animals that were before unclean. And God says to Peter, kill and eat. And Peter said, no. 
God said, do it. And Peter said, they're, they're unclean. We're not allowed to eat those. It'll defile my body. And God said to Peter, how dare you call something unclean that I just told you was clean? Eat it. That's why I raised pigs. They weren't allowed to eat them. That was like, you renounce your religion if you would have ate that stuff. So God's in this big vision with Peter. Meanwhile, another part of the world, another part of town where Jews weren't even allowed to go or hang out into a Gentile region where they didn't go associate with them. They weren't even supposed to touch them, much less hang out with them or go to their house or anything. There's a man named Cornelius. This is all in Acts chapter 10. If you want to go read it this week, I recommend it. Cornelius was praying, and and we don't know a whole lot about Cornelius, except that he gave many alms. He was very generous. He gave away a lot, and he prayed every day. So Cornelius, while he was praying, and God said, here's Peter's address. Go get him and bring him back to your house. There's something I want to do my disciples aren't getting it done. It's been 10 years and they hadn't spread the gospel to the Gentiles yet. They hadn't gave the Holy Spirit to the Gentiles, to y'all. So Cornelius gets a servant. He said, hey, go to this address. There's a man there. His name's Peter. He was one of Jesus' disciples and tell him to come back to my house. The servant's like, man, he ain't gonna come. He's a Jew. They won't come here. He's not allowed to even come in your house. Why would he come with me? I'm a Gentile servant. Why, Why would he come with me? He said, I don't know, I was praying and God said go. So the servant shows up. Well, Peter's on the roof with this big vision and he's seeing these animals and God's speaking to him. And then God said, hey, there's somebody downstairs that wants to talk to you. And he's like, what? And God said, do whatever he said. And so Peter said, okay, cool. Peter goes downstairs. There's the Gentile servant. He said, hey, um, my master Cornelius, he told me to come here and tell you. And Peter said, save it. I'm going with you. He said, what? Yeah, I already know. God told me. Let's go. He goes with him. And you can imagine when they got to the house, he was probably thinking, man, how am I going to explain this? Boy, I hope nobody's taking pictures. Hope they don't share this on Instagram or Facebook because I'm not supposed to be here. If the other disciples see me here, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm supposed to be pretty, like, we don't go to these places, and I don't even know what I'm doing here, but God told me to go, so I got to go. This is probably what's going on in Peter's head. And he goes in the house where Cornelius lives and all his people that he's gathered together. And Peter prays in the same thing that happened in Acts 2 where the Holy Spirit fell. Holy Spirit falls on a bunch of Gentiles. There's no Jews in there but Peter. right? And and so the Holy Spirit comes and God's saying, y'all are stuck. Like y'all are supposed to keep moving forward. So now I got to step in and make it happen because my spirit is for everyone. I'm trying to give the Holy Spirit. My love was for everybody. So, so God's like pushing them. Well, this is offensive to the Jews. And that whole meat-eating thing, that was going to be hard for Peter to explain. And now Peter's going to have to explain this one. And why he was somewhere he wasn't supposed to be praying for people. Like, you know, sometimes when you get stuck in your old thinking, your old way, or you get comfortable in a certain place, God will offend you to get you moving forward. That was offensive to them. But then Peter went back and said, Hey, y'all remember what happened to us when we received the Holy Spirit? Look, here's what happened. And Peter tells them the other apostles of the story they're like what it's for everybody it's not just for the Jews oh no they're not circumcised and they don't know all the laws so then they started making people get circumcised grown men and everybody like you got to get circumcised you got to follow this law this law this law this law for five more years that's how they went about it and and you can go read in Acts 15 Five, no, by Acts 15, it was 20 years had passed since the first one I read you, Acts chapter 2. 20 years has now passed, and they realized the Holy Spirit was for everybody, but they were still making them get circumcised and follow all these laws. 
And so that's where in Acts 15 we see the big meeting and Paul and Barnabas are there and Pastor James is there and the Peter shows up and they're all throwing in their opinions and they pull up some old the old prophecies and stuff and they prove that the Holy Spirit was always meant to be for everyone, not just for the for the Jews. And so they're like, oh, so right, I guess we need to Stop making them follow all these laws. Okay, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. You can just have the Holy Spirit. I think about the poor dude that had just gotten that done that past week because you know there were some he was adding to the church daily. Like, are you serious? Now? Y'all just decided I didn't have to... Moving on. God had to keep moving them forward. Show them that the Holy Spirit was, was for everybody, that His love was for all humans. He placed eternity in all of our hearts. And He wants us to keep moving forward. See, God's love was for everybody. Who is the Holy Spirit for? Everybody. Who is God's love for? Every human. It's like on a nice sunny day. Who's it for? Like who gets to partake of the sunshine? Everybody. Some people choose to live in the dark and not walk outside. They don't partake of the sunshine. But it is for you too. Even if they choose to live in darkness, the sunshine is for them too. And we as children of the light are supposed to call them out. Come out into the sun. Jesus is the light that came to light every man, John tells us. And we're all supposed to be light. Some people go out every once in a while and then they get sunburned. And it looks bad and they're uncomfortable and they're hurting and they're annoyed and aggravated and then they're peeling and like some of y'all, they only show up, you only get in the sun on Sunday morning, spiritually. And then you get burned and you're agitated and irritated all week long. Well, it's because you're only going in the sun every once in a while and then you go back to the darkness. Come on out in the sunshine a little more often. Do you know your body produces vitamin D naturally after exposure to the sunlight? You go out into the sunshine that your body starts producing vitamin D. And so I kind of got on this little kick while I was studying and started looking this stuff up. And um, I did not know this, but vitamin D is not a vitamin. It really aggravates me that it's named vitamin D and it's not a vitamin. I don't know if all y'all knew that and I'm the only one that didn't, but it was kind of annoying. See, your body produces vitamin D. Your body can't produce vitamins. You take them through supplements or the things you eat or your body can't produce vitamin C or other vitamins. Your body produces vitamin D. It's inside of you. Going out in the sun activates it. So it's inside of you. And the sunshine activates it. See, God has placed things inside of you, inside of your heart. He's placed eternity in your heart. He's, he's placed purpose inside of you. And, and when you step into the light, it activates it. I thought this was pretty cool. The benefits of vitamin D from going out in the sun. Promotes healthy bones and teeth. Supports immune brain and nervous system health uh, it regulates insulin levels and supports diabetes management supports lung function and cardiovascular health um, influences the expression of genes involved in cancer development so vitamin D it affects what you can do and what you can eat and what you can think 
and how hard you can fight. It helps regulate your energy levels. It helps you breathe. And it helps you get rid of things inside of you that would bring death. Jesus is the light. John 15, 12. We read this either last week or the week before. Um, This is my commandment that you love one another. That's what Jesus commands. As I have loved you. So we're supposed to love each other just like Jesus loved us. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, or we're in relationship, if you do whatsoever I command you. And what did he command? You love each other. We love each other just like he loved us. That was his command. So if you want to be in relationship with Jesus, love each other. If you want to have the greatest love, learn to lay down your life. Or can I say your time for your friends? Jesus is teaching the disciples that people are more important than time. He said, a greater love hath no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. That he would allow his time to be expired on behalf of his friends. That's the greatest love there is, Jesus said. People are more important than time. And that love is greater or more powerful than time. And remember, God is love. John tells us, love is more powerful than death. And love is more powerful than time. Another way you could say it, No one has greater love than the one that would give up or lay down his time for his friends. When you die, they say your time has run out. There's a movie that I thought about while I was studying this. I don't know if you've seen it. It was called In Time. A movie called In Time with uh, it had um, Justin Timberlake. It came out like ten years ago. But they pay you with time. So like you go work your job and they just scan the little barcode tattoo on you and it gives you more time to live. Like they give you time. So rich people had a lot of time and poor people were working day to day. Like, oh, I've only got eight hours of time left. I got to go in and punch the clock today or your time expired, you died. And it was a, it was a crazy movie, but Like, I haven't forgot that movie because it really made me think. It really made me think about time. And it really pulled on that eternity that was in my heart. I guess because (laughs) I kept thinking about it. About time. They say time is money. But I want to tell you that money can't buy time. So time is money, but money can't buy time. Time is more powerful than money. Time is more valuable than money, but love is more powerful than time. And so many people live like like money and stuff is the most important thing. And it's not. It's not even close. If you're living with a 70 or 80 year perspective, it is. Money and stuff and your retirement's the most important thing there is. Jesus said, what good would it do to get everything you want and lose you? The real you. What could you ever trade for your soul? Jesus said that in Mark 8, 37. 1 Corinthians 13, 7. 
It's where Paul's telling us what love looks like. This is what love is. So if love is more powerful than time and love is more powerful than money and love outlasts those things, like when you go to heaven, love will be there. Money won't. Time won't. Not even things like faith will be there. You don't need it. <laughs> I mean... So Paul's describing what love looks like, what we're supposed to have flowing out of us. And just verse 7, he says, Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. And that last one, endureth all things. Love endureth all things. That word endures, it's a Greek word. Hupomeno, and it means under or remain, but the visual of it is um, if I'm in a battle and everybody on my side starts to retreat, like everybody on my team gives up and starts to run away, that I hold firm at my post. That's the visual picture of that word endure, that I stand my ground. That I stay even when everybody else runs away. I don't give an inch. And when other people hesitate, I don't. And when they back down, I don't. Why? Because I have this love. Love endures. The visual is of a warrior not giving up. The same word that was used in 1 Corinthians 13, 7 was also used in Hebrews 12 when it says that Jesus endured the cross. In the same way that he had enough love in him to endure the cross. We're called to love each other. To use your time to love. That's what we were meant to do with our time. Is to love God and love each other. I don't want to waste my time. Then use your time loving. With God's love. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 in the Message Bible, it says, If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but a creaking, the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything plain as day, and if I have faith that says to a mountain, jump, and it jumps but I don't love, I'm nothing. Or it all amounts to nothing. It's a waste of time. If I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say, or what I believe, and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Why? Because love is stronger than time. So it's all been a waste of time if I didn't learn how to love. If I didn't learn how to receive the love of the Father and give the love back to the people, then, then it's all a waste of time. If I'm a great speaker and if I do all these things and I, I say the right things, and I, even if I, he said, even if I believe the right thing, but I failed to learn how to love, then it was all a waste of time. I wasted the time that I was given. Because I didn't learn how to receive and give love. That's strong words. Because love is stronger than time. And when I step into eternity, I'm not going to need faith or hope or grace. But love will be there. Last scripture, we're done. 1 Corinthians 15. 57. I don't even think I gave you all that one. Death swallowed up by triumphant life. Who got the last word, old death? Old death, who's afraid of you now? 
This part, Paul was, um, he was referencing Isaiah 25, an old prophecy of what would happen when Jesus came to the cross. And then it says, it was sin that made death so frightening and law code guilt that gave sin its leverage, its destructive power. But now in a single victorious stroke of life, all three, sin, guilt, and death are gone. The gift of our master, Jesus Christ. Thank God. With all this going for us, my dear, dear friends, stand your ground and don't hold back. Throw yourselves into the work of the master, confident that nothing you do for him is a waste of time or effort. Confident that nothing you do for God is a waste of your time or effort. That when you love people, when remember Jesus' command. Jesus said, this is my commandment. So if you're doing what Jesus commanded, you're loving. Paul said right there, it's not a waste of time or effort. Love is stronger than time. Do I love my wife? Yes. Will I still love her or will she still love me when time expires? For one of us, yes. For sure. So real love doesn't end with death. I still love people that are gone. And I bet you do too. So when did I love Jesse, my wife? Like what moment in time? What month? What minute did I love her? I don't know. I have no idea the hour or the minute or the day. It was a lot of things all put together. It was a choice. Love is a choice. Remember? We choose to love. It was a choice. It was a feeling. It was a connection. It's my honor, my pleasure, and my absolute privilege. And the fruit of our love is worth all of my time. That's how we're meant to live. God is love and we're his kids, so we're supposed to look like him. We're supposed to act like him. That's what we're supposed to spend our time doing is figuring out ways to love people, figuring out ways to bless people, figuring out ways to pull people out of the ditch and to bandage their wounds. Stuck in time, but not wasting time. Let's pray. Hey, God, we still can't wrap our minds completely around eternity or the fact that there's no start and there's no end, and there, like, that's just hard for us to even understand. But today, feel like we understand a little more. God, help us to be generous. Help us to give. God, we give you permission to kick us, prod us, offend us if you need to, but keep us moving forward. Don't let us get stuck in an old mindset or a prejudiced way of thinking or stuck in religion or stuck in a hole where, where we stop moving forward or where we limit you and your love by what we think or what we've been taught. God, we want to keep growing. God, we want the next years of our life to be better than the ones in the past. Nothing bad about the past. But good or bad, we want to keep moving on to a future in you to the promise, to the purpose. Help us to love well.
Help us to receive love and give it. We love you. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for, for showing us today that, that your love is more powerful than time. It's more powerful than death. And that it will endure to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.